here at Faith. And uh, yeah, just again, I'm so grateful to, to be able to gather with everyone this morning. Um, just a couple of things we want to be sure to make everybody aware of. Uh, one is that there's an app called the Church Center app, and we keep bringing this up every week because we really do believe that it's a helpful tool that everyone might be able to use. Uh, if you downloaded that app, again, Church Center app, um, you'd be able to find our church, and then you'd be able to access uh, the sermon outlines, you'll be able to see event, upcoming events, sign up for groups, all sorts of good things on there. So if that's something that you're looking for, a way to connect uh, to our church through that, we'd encourage you to download that app. Also found on the app is our connection card. And for those of you who have been attending Faith for a long time, you know that our connection card uh, has often been a way for us to, to reach out and connect with new people that, are, that, have, that have decided to, to come and attend. Uh, but we've also changed that a little bit as we're changing half a dozen other things during, the, during these strange times. Uh, and now the connection card actually has a, a, a question that we're asking everybody. And so if you want to go answer that question, it just kind of helps us gauge and understand and measure uh, how everyone's doing. Um, it's just kind of a, how are you doing? How how's your soul sort of question. Uh, last week, we had about 50 or so people fill out the connection card from all, you know, been here for years, been here brand new. And, uh, and we loved reading those. We loved getting the chance to, to find out how y'all are doing, how, how, um, how life is going uh, during this pandemic. And so we appreciate you sharing your heart that way. And so if you want to sign on again and fill out that connection card, there's also a place to uh, fill out prayer requests there. And the pastoral staff and the elders and the prayer team, we really do take seriously uh, reading those cards and seeing your prayer requests and, uh, and being sure we lift those up to the Lord. And so uh, you can find that connection card either on the app or if you go online on our website, there's a place where you can fill it out there as well. And you could do that after the service um, just as well as doing it, doing it now here. Um, another thing we want to be sure to bring up, just if you, if you get our weekly e-blast or you've seen some of our announcements on our social media pages, there is an ice cream social, a socially distanced ice cream social next Sunday uh, in the afternoon over at uh, Cottonwood, the Cottonwood Shelter over here just outside Tuttle Creek State Park. Uh, if that's something that you might like to attend, maybe hang out with a few people, see some folks, uh, eat, some, eat some ice cream, we'd love for you to come. We are capping that, however, at 50 people just to, to honor the, the efforts that, that are being prescribed by our local health directors um, about what is a good size and a safe size of people to gather. So in order to kind of track how many people are coming, we're asking folks to register. And you can find that registration, again, either through the app or, uh, or online or in the e-blast. If you get the weekly e-blast, you can see a, a link to that registration for that. So that's an event that sounds like an event you might want to try out, check that out, and uh, see the details there. We'd love to have uh, lots of people, uh, people show up. And then finally, before we jump into our text this morning, we, we will be celebrating communion today. And so if, as you're walking in, if you're gathering with us here, either in, in this room or down in the venue, uh, there were little little cup packets sitting out there with the handy wafer tucked right in the top there and the juices in the bottom container. Um, we hope you grab, grabbed one of those. If you didn't, feel free to get up at any time and grab, grab one of those. We'll need that um, after the sermon as we enter communion. And if you've joined us online, um, again, you can, um, you can use whatever uh, food or drink elements might be in your your home and, and gather those and be ready for the for the communion at the end of the service here today. Uh, but as we turn our attention to the word, uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which Tani was uh, good enough to read, read for us so, uh, so beautifully. <clears throat> well, in the, uh, in the summer of 1967, a teenage girl and her sister uh, met up with some friends on a beach at the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, at some point during the fun of all the swimming and splashing around and just the great, great fun that they were having, that they were having this uh, athletic, active, life-loving young woman climbed up to a place where she could dive into the water. Unfortunately, uh, she was unfamiliar with the area, didn't realize that a lot of the spaces they were swimming were really pretty shallow. And uh, after she dove, her, her dive actually ended up breaking her neck and, uh, and severing her spinal cord and leaving her to live the rest of her life quadriplegic 
paralyzed from the neck down. Joni Erickson Tata would spend the next few years of her life redefining what a, a quality of life really meant and, and really just learning how to survive with, with this new affliction that, that she had. And as she was forever bound to a wheelchair and dependent on others for, to help her with her everyday needs. And during an interview on the 50th anniversary of her accident, she recalled that I hated my paralysis so much that I would drive my powered wheelchair into the walls, repeatedly banging them until those walls cracked. Early on, I found dark companions who helped me numb my depression with scotch and cola. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to die. Stories like this are frightening. They seem wrong and unfair. There is something deep within us that feels betrayed when 17-year-olds lose their mobility, or when loved ones get diagnosed with a terminal illness, or when we end up in a pandemic that we don't fully understand and it feels like we're, we're, we're losing different aspects of our life to way too many account each and every, to account for each and every day, or even when the weight of what we have to bear each day just seems to overwhelm us and makes us question whether or not whatever we're trying to do today is, is really worth the effort. Suffering is somehow a universal human experience, and yet everywhere we find it, it seems like it doesn't belong. Something deep within our souls weeps from the knowledge that pain and brokenness are our constant companions in this life. Which becomes extremely difficult to think about and extremely difficult to admit when we think of suffering in light of the topic that we've been preaching through over these last few weeks, the glory of God. Recall that our working definition of the glory of God that Pastor Steve offered us a few weeks ago is that it is the manifestation or the display of God's moral perfection and beauty. The glory of God is this manifestation, manifestation, this display of God's moral perfection and his beauty. It encompasses his power and his might and his sovereignty. It, 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 it's an overall term for all of those perfect attributes that he has. As Christians, we believe in and we worship a glorified, glory-filled, glory-saturated God. And yet, we also suffer. We have to work through how both of these things can be true at the same time. Today we will look at a passage in 2 Corinthians that I believe speaks to and provides provide some insight into the question, what does my suffering have to do with the glory of God? What does my suffering have to do with the glory of God? How do I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a proclaimer of his gospel, as a worshiper of his majesty, how do I, how do I deal with the, the suffering that, that I experience while also trying to maintain this worship, worship lifestyle of a glory-filled God? Now, I know that for many of us, this particular issue is where our connection to our faith is, is most threadbare, all right? That's where it's weakest. That's where it's most tenuous, might, might be the most likely to, to snap or to fall into to issues. And I would not be at all surprised if there are some of us gathered here today or some of us joining, uh, some people joining us online, who for, who that this particular issue is actually the thing that keeps you away from finally making a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe has led you to reject or walk away from your faith that you once had. Because this world is filled with so much suffering, and it's just hard for a lot of us to, to reconcile the idea of a good God with a world that is full of pain and, and, and affliction and, 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 and just hurt that we all experience each day. I want you to know that I don't take these concerns, uh, or I don't think that these concerns or these crises of faith are foolish, and I don't take your suffering lightly. And while I do wholeheartedly believe that God is with you in your hardest times and that, his, that the word that we're going to look at today can be something that, that, 
that gives you hope and gives you strength as you enter into those times, what I don't want to do is simply just gloss over your pain with, with nice Christian platitudes. The things we talk about today are going to be hard. For some of us, they're really going to hit close and, and, and deep into the, some of the, the harder places of our hearts and some of the, the rougher places of our struggling. And, and I want you to know that above all things, what we talk about today, it's going to take time to, to absorb and time to put into practice. And so this isn't something that you just flip a switch on and you go right into understanding. Give yourself the grace of that time, even as we start and look through what we're looking at here at this, on this passage today. But I do think... Uh, I, I do think that it's worth it to, to look at this topic, to, to understand, try to understand what happens with suffering in relation to our Christian faith. Because when we get to a place where we understand suffering a little bit better, and, and, and understand is the idea that we're going for, we're not looking, I'm not looking to make suffering comfortable because I'm not sure that really is, is ever something that we get adjusted to. But when we get to a place where we can better understand suffering, we also get to a place where we can say things like Joni Erickson Tata says, now 70 years old, more than 50 years removed from the accident that changed her life, that left her paralyzed from the neck down, and sharing wisdom like this with her brothers and sisters in Christ. And this quote comes from uh, an interview that she gave after she was diagnosed with cancer. So she's, she's been paralyzed from the neck down, she, late in her life she's been diagnosed with cancer, and yet this is her testimony. She said, just the other day I was reading 1 Peter 5.10 where Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore and confirm and establish you. And honestly, I'm amazed that the last 50 years only feels like a little while. Maybe God does that when we finally do love Jesus more, when we finally do follow him more closely. Maybe he erases all that horror and despair and depression of the past when we learn to trust God or as we learn to trust God. He pushes into the background all these terrible times of anguish and brings forth the highlights, these moments of hope and peace and growth. And as I look back over the past 50 years, I just see God at work, and that's pretty exciting. My hope today is that I can help some of you see the glory, how the glory of God is at work in your lives, even in the midst of suffering. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, we find a reminder of a pretty incredible promise that breathes life and hope into the hardships of our lives. And, and starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul's quotation there, I, I believed and so I spoke, is a reference to Psalm 116, which we don't have time to go in and, and look at thoroughly, but I would encourage you, Psalm 116 is a great place to go to this week if you're looking for somewhere to reflect on, on suffering and what it means to our, our walk with God. But in Psalm 116, the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness when he cried out in distress. He recounts how God responded to him and, and, and talked to him and guided him through his distress in a profound way. And Paul promises that we can have this same sort of assurance of God's care and love for us even when we face our trials and our suffering. And then he goes on to remind us that we have a display and a proof of God's goodness that's even better than anything the psalmist could have ever imagined. Because we have the gospel, the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, which makes a way for us to be rescued from our lowest lows and be brought into the fullness of the presence of God. In Christ, thanks to the gospel he preached and he lived out, we also have this guarantee that suffering does not get the last word. 
In his abundant love and mercy and grace, our glorious God made a way for us to endure suffering and not live in the shadow of death. But instead, follow Christ through pain, through affliction, through persecution, through loneliness, through every horrible and terrible thing that can go wrong in this life, and follow him into an amazing, wonderful, glorious, eternal life with Jesus. Because of this gospel, because of this outpouring of God's grace that causes us to overflow with thanksgiving, and then in turn celebrates God's glory, because of all of this, we don't lose heart. We have a hope that cannot fail, and has already won. That's what Paul was driving at when he said in verses 15 and 16, for it is for your sake, so that as grace extends to, to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. So because of this gospel, no matter what happens in this life, we can cling to hope and not lose heart. But it is only because of the gospel that this is true. And verses 16 and 18, which will really contain the the meat of of how hope can be infused into, into our suffering, those verses are meaningless without their gospel context. You have to understand how crucial this first step is. Any attempt to endure or embrace or understand or live through suffering must begin with our hearts and our deepest convictions standing firmly on the foundation of the gospel. It's the only thing that gives it purpose. It's the only thing that gives it meaning. Without the assurance that we will be raised to life just as our Savior is now alive, suffering is just that. It's just suffering. Our afflictions can only take on everlasting meaning when they are understood in the shadow of the cross and in the light of the resurrection. So we do not lose heart. Not because we're tougher than anyone else, not not because we're stronger or or better or, or more courageous than anyone else, but because we know that we follow and worship a Savior who endured suffering and death. Jesus Christ and his gospel are forever our example and our way forward. And so now, always keeping in mind that gospel foundation that we have to stand on, now we can return to our question, well then what does this, my suffering have to do with the glory of God? What does my suffering have to do with the glory of God? In verse 16, Paul profoundly states that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I doubt it's very hard for most of us to relate to the idea of our outer selves wasting away. Right, I'm, I'm a relatively healthy 32-year-old, and uh, I will somewhat sheepishly admit that I have, m- on more than one occasion, uh, become out of breath while walking, while hiking to the top of the world uh, over here in Manhattan, which for those of you watching online who might be from out of town, uh, top of the world is a hill, um, a very large hill, but it's a hill uh, here in Manhattan that has a good lookout point, and I have run out of breath trying to walk up that hill. Uh, I used to be able to eat whatever I want, and now if I have a slice of pizza, I have to eat in an acid a couple hours later. My knees aren't great. I've had to get a new prescription for glasses every year for the past three years. And after 31 blissful years of never suffering from allergies, my body, body finally gave up, and now Claritin is my new best friend. And these sort of afflictions, these sort of, of, of wearing away and life just getting at us are, are annoying, but they're usually bearable. But there are, of course... those who who experience wasting away in in a much more painful and a much more terrifying way. Because we have those that that suffer from chronic pain. And and that chronic pain takes those that that are wonderfully, wonderfully brilliant and capable people and it leaves them in bed 
all day. Mental illness robs some of us of the person that we know we are or the person that we know we could be if just our brain chemistry was just a little bit different. Terminal illness ravages our bodies that once held so much healthy potential or it stole that potential before we ever really got, to, got a chance to see it flourish. From aging to illness to accidents and everything in between, the part of ourselves that is exposed to suffering and sin of this evil age takes a beating every single day, month by month and year by year. And to this we could add the hurt and that, that we cause to one another. All right, we could add the affliction of persecution for what we believe and the, the destruction of life that results from injustice and on and on and on. Outwardly, we are constantly being caught up in a fallen world that is broken. But for those who have met Jesus, for those who call him friend and savior and God, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the presence of God restores us and is constantly remaking us into something new and something grander and something more beautiful than, than we were the day before. And although we may feel a little more outwardly broken day by day, by the grace of God, we can also feel a little more inwardly renewed every single day that we spend with Jesus. And this is one of the wild and truly unexplainable things about being a follower of Christ. Suffering, unlike anything else we experience, has a way of revealing the glory of God at work within us. All right? suffering, suffering, unlike anything else, has a way of revealing the glory of God that's at work in us. What ought to destroy us, and sickness and poverty and hatred and hardship and death, what ought to destroy us, and in fact would absolutely and certainly destroy us, cannot destroy us. And instead makes us stronger and more dependent on God and more aware of his work in his life. Again, because of that gospel foundation. Because of the way that Jesus loved us and the work that he's done for us. And in these moments where you realize that a good and perfect God is doing things in your heart to make your inner self more resilient and make you more holy by virtue of being in a relationship with him, then there is a joy that cannot be reasonably explained by human or worldly terms, despite the fact that it comes alongside suffering at the same time. A few years ago, I was unexpectedly, I, I unexpectedly developed some pretty serious and intense anxiety for the first time in my life, and there, there goes my body and my outer self wasting away again. And that struggle brought me to my knees and lower. I had days where I couldn't get out of bed. I had weeks where I wanted to quit on just about everything in my life, and that was terrifying because that was not the person that I knew myself to be. All of it was, was horribly awful, and I didn't want it then, and I don't look back on that time very fondly now. However, in that season where I cried out to God in ways that I never have before, I was answered in new and deeply profound ways. I had layers and layers of pride stripped away that I didn't know that, that there were a problem for me. I learned to truly rely on my church community on a way that I never had before. I learned to connect with the presence of God in me even while weeping on my bedroom floor. And what could have destroyed me, and without God, what would have destroyed me, much to, the, much to the delight of this evil world, ended up being the very instrument that God used to reveal his glory within me and prove to me that he truly was with me and at work in my heart. Suffering, unlike anything else we experience, has a way of revealing to us how the glory of God is at work in our lives. It's an incredible thing to discover that God is, is at work within you. And I'll be honest, I don't know that I would go looking for that. I don't know that I would want necessarily or feel the need to go looking for it if, I didn't, if that need wasn't generated by, by something going wrong in my life. 
this hard and fallen world gives us plenty of reasons and needs to go find a very good and powerful God. And he is gracious and faithful to be there when we go looking and reveal to us how he is working in our hearts. But that hard work, and, and, and it is hard work, it hurts to be dismantled like that, to have to work through those issues and, and, and have things stripped away that we're clinging to that we shouldn't have. And all of that hard work leads us into this next idea, which is that suffering conditions us to be ready to receive the glory of God ahead of us. Suffering conditions us to be ready to receive the glory of God ahead of us. In verse 17, Paul said, For this light and momentary affliction... <clears throat> And this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, we need to be very clear about something. Paul and the Bible, and most importantly, God, do not belittle or minimize your suffering. All right? The idea that it's light and momentary affliction isn't meant for you to just kind of push it to the side and say it's not that big of a deal. God hates suffering. It breaks his heart to see his children in pain for the consequences of sin that justly plague this world, that, that punishment of sin that, that he had to give for this world to fall, in, to fall into the state that it's in. It breaks his heart to see it. It breaks his heart so much that he actually laid aside the glory of heaven, assumed the likeness of humanity, suffered alongside us, bled and suffocated on the cross, and then just so that we could have a way out of that suffering, conquered death, went into an eternal life that he invites us to, where we can experience the eternal weight of glory. And it's that eternal perspective that allows us to understand that what we're suffering now, it can be light and it can be momentary. It's not that the suffering in this life isn't hard. It absolutely is hard. In the opening, of the, of, uh, chapter, or in the opening chapter of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1, Paul even talks about how hard his life is. In verse 8, he said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised life itself. This is the Apostle Paul talking about the feeling of despising life itself because of what he was experiencing. He felt the great pressure, the weight of his current suffering, and it made him hate life there for just a little bit. But there in chapter 4, he uses the same word for weight that he used in chapter 1, but this time he talks about a weight that he's looking forward to. He's talking about the weight of the glory of God that he's so ready to take on, that he's so ready to take up and enjoy forever. His suffering in this life, which again is just a result of the fallen world, it's just a result of of what it means to be living in a world that is plagued by sin, in in his suffering in this life, God graciously found a way to, to turn into a salvific purpose. All right? He made suffering into something that could prepare Paul for the weight of glory that was to come when he entered the heavenly presence of God. God graciously gives suffering a greater purpose than sheer punishment or consequence. He has found a way to use our afflictions to help us grow into the kind of people that will love the kingdom of God and forget the kingdom of the earth. To walk away joyfully, joyfully walk away, happily walk away, gladly let go of these things that are of this earth and take up eternity. And I don't know about you, but I need that sort of help to let go of the things of this world, to stop looking for hope in the the small and, and, and ultimately meaningless things of this earth and cast my eyes, cast my whole heart toward the Lord. I need to be conditioned to walk further and further away from this earth and closer to the kingdom of God. And suffering, whether I like it or not, and again, I don't know that we're supposed to like it, suffering does this. 
And if I'm honest with myself, even though it hurts, I'm grateful for God finding a way to infuse purpose into my pain. There is one other purpose of, of suffering that we need to point out, and that it's that suffering gives us a chance to demonstrate to others that we really do believe Christ is our best hope, better than anyone else or anything else that we could rely on, rely on in this world. Suffering gives us this chance to demonstrate to others that we really do believe Christ is our best hope. What Paul says here in verse 18 is that in the midst of this life, in the midst of all this suffering that, that comes with it, he keeps his eyes focused on the unseen, on the eternal life that is to come, on Jesus and on the glory of God. The only reason that he's able to do this, the only reason that he would do this, the only reason that any of us would do this is if we really believe that Jesus truly is our best chance of hope, that the gospel really is the best promise that we've ever heard. That God really does love you and that he really can comfort you and help you overcome your times of pain and hurt and affliction and suffering. That demonstration of faith, of continuing to believe in God and hope in Jesus, even in the midst of your suffering, that demonstration of faith will absolutely confound the world. The enemy has no answer for that sort of commitment. No counter for that depth of love of God. The world has no grid, no category to make sense of that supernatural paradox. I came across this quote from a woman named Chelsea Sobolek while preparing for the sermon that I thought just was a great capturing, a, a great way to sum up the testimony of how, uh, of how all this purpose and how this demonstration of our love for God can pour forth from suffering. She wrote that when we respond to suffering well, we practically demonstrate to an unbelieving world that Christ is more glorious and precious to us than any pain or difficulty we may endure. We have the opportunity to show where and in whom we find our true treasure by placing our ultimate hope in Christ rather than the temporary things of this world. God receives the glory. God receives the glory when we suffer well. When we choose to continue and to trust him, the world will look on us and, and wonder. People that are in your life that will, will desire this access to the hope that you have, and, and maybe, just maybe, your faith in the midst of suffering will bless you with an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody who needs to get to know him. And yeah, that's not exactly the kind of blessing that I'm out there looking for. I don't think this means you need to charge after suffering and, and take on as much as you can so that you can have that as a way to share Jesus. But, but it does give suffering a purpose and a chance for it to be evangelistic, a chance for it to be an opportunity to share your testimony and let somebody know who Jesus is. And just a few closing thoughts. Um, first, I mentioned this before, kind of toward the beginning, but I really do want people to understand that everything we've talked about today takes time to become a reality, right? It takes time to, to adjust to this idea that suffering can have a purpose and that we can move into that. Very few people will, will get this just immediately. You know, it's, like I said, it's not a flip that gets switched and all of a sudden suffering becomes endurable and all of a sudden you understand it uh, deeply. You've got to spend time with God to, to move toward this perspective, all right? You've got to share your pain with other believers, You've got to grow and change and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It took me months to work through my anxiety. But by the grace of God, which, by the way, was, came in the form of, of being with people and sharing these things with people, but it also came in the form of, of taking an anti-anxiety medication called Tetelopram, which, which frees me to, to be able to, act, to, to, to understand my suffering in a way that is um, 
uh, I can actually interact with. Um, by the grace of God, I can now understand how suffering has led me closer to him. But you've got to give yourself the blessing of that time. God's not going anywhere, and he's not going to leave you behind. He will walk with you if you're, if you're walking, if you're running, if you're shuffling along. If you sit on the ground and have to cry into his shoulder, he's going to be there. But you've got to take the time. And you've got to know that it's worth it to take the time to learn to share these things with God. Second, if you feel overwhelmed by your suffering, please know that you can reach out to the church. All right, we've got a number of different ministries specifically designed to help people walk through and walk alongside them during some of their hardest times. We have Stephen ministry that can provide you counselors. We have a heart ministry that can comfort those that have experienced miscarriages or infant loss. And, and of course, we've got pastors and elders and, and, and leaders here at the church that are eager and, and, and willing to sit down with you and hear you out and talk to you um, and, and share, that, share that pain with you. All you have to do is reach out, and, and we really do want you to, to know this. We don't want you to suffer alone. We don't want anyone to suffer alone. We have, we have ways to be able to come alongside you during that, but you've got to be able to take that first step of courage and, and let us know what's going on so that we can come and help you. We want to be here for you. We want to be your church. We want to be this community that rallies around you. Finally, I'm going to close with a thought um, that comes from one of my heroes. I reached out to this person for some thoughts on glory, on the glory of God and suffering because one, I, I feel like experientially, I'm a little bit of a novice in this area. And two, when you know someone who knows more than you, it's good to ask them for advice. So this is going to be a little bit of wisdom from my mother, Jennifer Krager. Uh, she's a mother of three. I have a brother and a sister. Um, but she also suffers from chronic pain. She's a survivor and a defeater of breast cancer. And she facilitates one of the, large, uh, the compassion ministry for one of the largest churches in Kansas City. And uh, there's actually a much longer list of ways that she uh, endures suffering uh, in, her, in her walk with Christ that are, are more personal to her that I won't share with you. Um, but she is, she is someone that I am glad to learn about this from. And so these are uh, the words from my mother, who, I, like I said, is one of my heroes, and I like to brag on her because she's awesome. Um, but anyway, my mom said this about suffering in the glory of God. She said, what glorifies God is how his compassion and care is revealed through those who suffer, but it's not always easy to see. When I had cancer and I was sick and scared, I experienced God's love and care and especially his presence in a whole new way. I learned what it was like to truly experience God sitting with me. I learned things about peace and comfort that I didn't know before. Inwardly, I was being renewed. Outwardly, I was throwing up and in a lot of pain, and looked like crap. God was also glorified in the way that people cared for me. Calls and notes and visits and meals and so many prayers. I didn't know about it until long after, but when I had pneumonia and was in the hospital and on a ventilator, my boss held a prayer service for me in the chapel during the workday. And I was told later that so many people felt like the presence of God was there. God was glorified, not in my sickness, but in the gathering of believers to pray and reach out to him. Over the years, God has taught me the glorious truth of Romans 8, 26-27, where it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groans with words that we cannot express. And so he who searches our hearts knows, our mind, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. This is, this is the most personally profound thing I've ever learned in my life, and God is glorified in that. Suffering, whether it is illness or fear or someone we love or any other human thing, reveals our constant need for Christ. 
God is glorified because we have to open up to him and even call out to him, even if it's at times when we're hurt or in our anger. God fills the voids in our life if we let him. And when we do that, our earthly life looks and feels like the kingdom to come. This morning, we will celebrate the Lord's table together. And there may be no more fitting place to reflect on suffering than in communion. It is a practice that our Savior, Jesus Christ himself, established to help us slow down and remember his sacrifices, remember his suffering, remember that his love was so great for us that it led him down the path to the cross and to death. If you are gathered here with us today, and and no matter really how you're, you're gathered with us, whether you're online or in person, and you are suffering, please know that the Lord wants you to bring that pain to him and bring that hurt and that trouble to him. He wants to minister to you. He wants to pour out his love on your wounds and guide you through in endurance and keep you on this path and maybe even invite you onto this path for the first time that leads you to an eternity with him. Perhaps you know somebody who is suffering. Jesus wants to care for your hearts too. Being close to a suffering person is its own kind of hardship and affliction. You can go to Jesus for the strength and the courage that you need to keep going and keep being that person that's alongside the one Who's, who's, in hurt, who's hurting and in pain. These next few moments, I invite you to just set your hearts on who graciously gave our suffering purpose and promises us that there is glory waiting for us to enjoy in an eternity without pain, without tears, and without suffering of any kind. In these next few minutes, we remember that that's a promise that our God gave to us. At our church, anyone who has confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to join us for the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together take the bread, and uh, I will read some scripture, and we will eat that together. And then we will take up our cup. Again, I'll read some scripture, and we'll drink together. If you've joined us in person today, we've got those little individual communion cups for you to use. The top simply tears away, and you'll find a wafer. And then the second layer tears away, and the juice is underneath that. If you're watching at home, again, please feel free to use whatever elements uh, you have, whatever, whatever food and drink work best for you in, in your setting. If there is anyone joining us today that does not yet believe in the gospel, has not yet confessed Jesus as their Savior, we want you to know that we're so glad and grateful that you're here, and we're, we're honored by your decision to let us be part of your, of your walk and your, your learning about who Jesus is. During this time, we'd invite you just simply to reflect uh, and maybe just observe, and then if you have questions or want to ha- ask us anything, please reach out. Please let us know. We'd love to talk to you more about, about the gospel and even about what, we, what we've talked about here today. But at this time, would you, uh, <clears throat> would you please pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, as we enter this time of communion, please just take this moment and Holy Spirit, enter the hearts of those that, that have suffering this morning, that, that are even when they walk through the doors, they knew they were distracted by the things that are keeping them down, that are afflicting them. And Lord, there, there may not be answers, there are rarely ever answers, true answers to our suffering, but what they can find is your presence and your love and even just feel your hands on their shoulders, your, your willingness to be close to them and your presence to comfort them during this time where we reflect on your suffering and what it means for us and how it invites us into an eternity with you. Lord Jesus, these next few moments we, we give to you to speak to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we do. We proclaim your death until you come. We proclaim your gospel until you come. We want to share that with the world. And if that has to be shared in the midst of our suffering, then Lord, so be it. But we're grateful that 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 means that our suffering can have purpose, that it can draw us closer to you, that it can reveal to us how you're at work in our lives. Father God, we we don't ask for suffering. We don't want to run into it. We don't want to just try to suffer as much as possible. But we know and we and we praise you and we thank you that when we suffer, you will be there right alongside us to guide us and to love us. And, and to let us know that it's going to be okay because eternally, for, for years and years and thousands of years and thousands of years, Lord, we will be with you in your presence and these light and momentary afflictions will be things of the past. We await that day, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.